I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to the call here on Ausbiz. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 21st of April. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you join us. And our guests today, Nathan Somersandaram from Deep Data Analytics and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Gentlemen, welcome to both of you. I thought just to take a look at where we're at at the moment, just as far as the local uh, landscape is concerned. And Nathan, uh, the ASX 200 approaching those record levels. Is it justified, do you think? Yeah, well, I think... Uh it's, it's a tricky one because obviously with inflation, commodities are doing well. Uh, we're a commodity country. Uh, our currency is holding up. So in that context, it probably makes sense. But uh, I think the real reason we're doing better than what we should is the problems that's happening in Japan and Europe. Uh, their currency problem is pushing global funds to go other places where the currency is a bit more stable. And that's basically U.S., for commodity countries like Australia and Canada. So um, again, Australia is a lucky country. Let's hope that lasts. Yeah, all right. Howard, what's your take on that? Perhaps, uh, as Nathan said, a lucky country where benefiting where perhaps uh, the misfortune of others. Yes, uh, obviously, as a large commodity exporter, and I mean, it's by far our biggest source of export earnings. It's wonderful for us. But for shareholders, it's not necessarily good news. I mean, if you are a net buyer of shares, which most of us expect to be doing, except in the very last, perhaps, few years of our lives, um, we would prefer to be buying things cheaply rather than buying things expensively. Now, obviously, uh, fund managers look at it differently because they want share prices to go up because it helps them earn performance fees. But as an investor yourself, if you invest in your own funds, you would like the share prices of the best run businesses to be cheap so that you can buy them cheaply, um, much the same as we go down to the shops. We don't celebrate high prices at the shops. We get excited if we see a sign in the window that says sale uh, 20% off or 50% off or whatever. We get excited about it. We should look at buying pieces of businesses, which is what you're buying when you're buying shares, the same way. The cheaper we can buy them, the better off we are. All right, well, you mentioned commodities. We'll get to that in just a moment with our stock of the day. Uh, but first, let's just uh, preview our first five stocks, what we're going to be talking about. And it's uh, Aussie Broadband, Premium, James Hardy, iCandy Interactive, and Goodman Group. And uh, our stock of the day is BHP, reporting a weaker than expected third quarter when it comes to iron ore production. Uh, dented by a pandemic-related labour crunch that's particularly noticeable in Western Australia and the planned track renewal works, which capped production and its Pilbara operations. Now, despite the headwinds, no change to forecast for the steelmaking ingredient ahead. Uh, but there is a bit of a pessimistic outlook for other commodities slashing production guidance for copper and nickel. 
This is a flags volatility and inflationary pressures mounting due to those ongoing crises in Ukraine, of course. But it does see conditions improving for 2023. Uh, taking a look at shares today so far, down just uh, just under three percent in uh, in this morning's trade. So, what do our experts think of BHP, Howard? I know there at Team Invest, you're a little wary of of resource stocks given that where commodity prices track. Nonetheless, it's pretty hard to avoid BHP given the weighting it has in the index. Yes, and certainly if the index matters to you, you obviously can't. Um, you know, it's an enormous part of the index. Um, our team invest members don't really look at the index. They look at the individual businesses that they own. And I think very few, if any of our members own BHP, it's not that we think it's a badly run business. Um, you know, it's an exceptionally well-run mining company. But having said that, mining companies have no control over future prices. They price takers, not price makers. And of course, at the moment, they're doing very well because commodity prices are up, but we don't know that they'll stay up. So, uh, you know, uh, if you're saying, I want to own shares in businesses where I can be confident earnings per share will be materially higher in five and 10 years time, you can't say that with BHP. And that means the other problem with BHP is uh, how do you decide that it's going to be good for your portfolio? Because if earnings per share aren't going to grow, the share price may not grow. The best time to buy resource companies is when everybody's saying how disastrously low resource prices are, not when they're talking about how high they are. So uh, uh, I think it's a great company, but I wouldn't own it in my portfolio. All right, um, Nathan, what, what are your thoughts then? Um, is, it, is it in your portfolio? Uh, we did have it, uh, but we got out when uh, iron ore was 200 plus. Um, so we got out on that peak and uh, BHP has surprised a lot of people. And I think it's a lot to do with what's happening on the macro trade. As I said, a lot of people globally, uh, because of the inflation trade, are chasing commodity exposure and BHP by default becomes a massive player. And now that the shares are not available in the UK, they have to come to Australia to buy it. So that's been a huge positive for the stock and our market. Um, in a lot of days when markets have been down, BHP by itself has held our market higher. So it's had a good bounce. Uh, but you have to remember, we're pretty close to where we were uh, around June, July last year. and. At that time, uh, share price, well, I don't know, was a lot higher. Um, so in that context, you have to remember that we're pricing in a fair amount of optimism. Um, and the production weakness shouldn't be a surprise because you've seen that through Vale, you've seen it through Rio. Um, it's a common theme that's playing through uh, in the commodity sector, um, inflation, cost inflation, um, you know, product inflation, all of these things are, are playing into their cost structure. So it's tough, but they are a great player. BHP is being managed as well as it's been managed in the last 10 to 15 years. So I don't have an issue with that. I think the inflation cycle plays out for a lot longer. I mean, we started talking about this two years ago. Uh, the market realized it probably about a year ago and you know, still discounting it as transitory, more or less. Um, I think that's a bit delusional, but that, that'll you know, find its way through. Um, but I think BHP will do quite well. We're in a we're in a commodity cycle. If you look mm. at the capex cycle with most miners, they are not spending that much. So people are going to find things are going to be expensive. 
for a lot longer. So I think the commodity cycle plays out for a couple of years. Am I chasing BHP here? Probably not. I'll wait for it to come back. Um, I think you're already seeing um, iron ore starting to uh, top, top around here on the 150-odd, and it's going to come off. China's having a fair amount of lockdown. That's the main user. So when you've got your customer in lockdown, things will get weaker a bit. And the other thing to remember is global growth is coming back. So again, a lot of these things, too much priced in. Outlook is a bit sketchy, so I'm staying out. Can I take that as a whole, though? Yeah, look, if you've been there and you've had the run-up, you've yeah. got the buffer. Now, fund managers are not going to sell because they've gone up and down, up and down. They're happy to hold because it's a big chunk. So, you know, for a retail investor looking at the long term, I think the commodity cycle still plays out for a while. It's probably the best commodity exposure out there. Okay. All right. Great. That is BHP. All right. Well, let's get into those stocks as picked by you. Our first one is Aussie Broadband. Megan wanting to know about this. Uh, did have a solid first half update. Revenue up around 46%. Uh, gross margins also up 1% to 27%. Net profit after tax up substantially as well. Share price having surged as a result. Nathan, Aussie Broadband. Uh, look, it's a it's a really good business doing, they do a segment which they do really well in residential rollouts. Um, it's well managed and everyone knows it. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a market darling with fund managers, small cap players and everything is priced in. To the point where uh, brokers are now downgrading to a hold. When a broker calls a hold recommendation, that's a sell. So in context, it's, there's nothing wrong with the business. Management is great. It's priced for a lot. And I think you're buying in something that everyone's already had the run in and you're coming in the last bit. There's nothing that you're going to find in this business that's going to surprise you because everyone is looking every piece of this business model. Um, so I think it's great. Uh, it's a great business. Everyone knows it. So you need to find a business that people don't know. And as Howard said, people don't like at a given time because you see the upside in it. And this, everyone knows, everyone loves, so there's not a lot there. So if you've been there, great, take some money off the table, manage your risk. But in reality, I'm not chasing it here. All right, so essentially it's a sell or at least you're trimming at this point. Exactly. Yep. Okay, Howard? Yeah, I think Nathan's put it very well there. You know, it's only been listed for a short while. Um, it seems to be running itself extremely well. I know a couple of people are using Aussie Broadband. They rave about it. But it's an industry with an enormous number of competitors. And on top of that, uh, with each passing year, you get offered more and more data for less and less money. So um, you don't really want to be investing in industries where the price is coming down and the amount of product you've got to deliver to your customers is going up. You'd rather it's the other way around, that the amount of product you're delivering is not needed to be as much, perhaps, but you can charge more for it. So, uh, and as Nathan says, it's run up so much that uh, you, you may want to admire it from the side and say, what a well-run little broadband company. But uh, share price is way beyond anything that would look good to us. And from a team invest point of view, we don't look at companies generally unless they have four years worth of listed history, simply because we don't know how well they're going to perform as a listed company. How will they cope with all the governance regulations? Um, how will they cope with dealing with being a listed company? And until there's been about four years of that, we prefer to avoid them because 
there are too many that don't cope well with it and uh, land up being disappointments. So a no from us. But okay. Well run. Yep. Okay. That's an avoid then. I'll take that from you, Howard. All right. Let's yep. um, move on to the second one then. This is Premium, the investment platform uh, provider. Uh, it's um, quarterly net inflows are jumping to, I think, 725 million. And that certainly uh, powered the share price. Uh, uh, record funds under administration, close to 49 billion for February. Now, Brad asking Howard for his thoughts, uh, saying it has come back a lot. And although the numbers have dropped off a bit, it doesn't justify such a big share price drop for a well-run company. Do you agree, Howard? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, the share price did seem to come down an enormous amount. Um, it doesn't pass our filters at the moment because its return on equity is too low. Um, but funds are flowing in. And because I think a few of the very big fund managers have had funds flowing out, um, everybody got nervous on the market about being invested in anything that was to do with uh, managing funds. And probably Russia invading Ukraine uh, didn't help from that point of view either. But it's on a pretty low PE ratio. Uh, it has been growing its earnings, although the last six months, uh, the last half year, uh, wasn't all that encouraging compared to some previous periods. Um, uh, it, but it is, though, because of its drop in earnings, um, on a pretty high PE ratio. So, uh, uh, again, not a company that uh, we would be interested in because its return on equity recently has been too low. Its debt's okay. Uh, and earnings per share seems to be, like so many uh, in that industry, up and down and hard to predict. So, uh, a no from us. Okay, that's a pass. Nathan, do you agree? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. This is this is an interesting one because whenever things fall, it's 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 actually typical for retail investors. When things fall, everyone starts to look at it, and this is an interesting sector. The best players in there are Hub and NetWealth, and they've done really well. Uh, I remember an analyst who started covering Hub from day one. He loved it, and he bought so much of it PA, and he ran it all the way. He did not sell a share; he held it. So kudos to him. Um, so you, the thing is. It's had, the sector's had the big one. Um, everyone has got to that, and you've kind of got to the point where the, the older players blew themselves up, the, the newer players started to grab market share. All of that's kind of peaked. You've got to that maturity level. So you're getting to that point where now you had cons industry consolidation. So there's mergers within or takeovers within the sector. Even that's played out. Um, and so what, the big problem for me is, you look at the overall dynamics of the sector, the best players are rolling over. They're probably pricing in too much now. And as the uncertainties and the market looks overpriced, everyone's worried about the macro, these sectors tend to come off. And premium is not at the top of the list in the sector. So when things are negative, the, the, the weaker ones get hit the most. And premium is one of them. Premium, premium without a doubt, is in a downgrade cycle. You know, the basic logic. Don't buy things in a downgrade cycle. Wait for the first upgrade. That's what I'm going to do with premium. Um, I think if you look at what happened last year in the downgrade cycle, it went a lot lower. So you're trying to pick a cycle, trying to pick the bottom, and that's a that's a tough year um, in a in a tech platform tech. Um, so I'm waiting to see how this plays out. Wait for the first upgrade. When that happens, jump in. All right, but I mean, you mentioned obviously um, you like Hub24 and NetWealth. They've all run hard. You're preferring those then? You're waiting for them to come back over yeah, uh, yeah, premium? 
Actually, if you look at Hub and NetWorld, they're starting to roll over and they're coming back. Mm. Um, I think Hub, uh, I, I have had a few friends working in Hub and look, people who work in other platforms tell me Hub is a better model. So that's how good the branding is for Hub. So if you're going to pick one in this uh, sector, uh, in a pullback, I'd be keeping an eye on Hub. It's starting to roll over and starting to look a bit better. Uh, and if there is a pullback in the market and Hub pull, you know, has a decent uh, drop, then that'll be the one I would pick because that's probably the best in the sector. All right, great. Let's move on to uh, building products. James Hardy. Uh, shares have come under pressure since missing with its third quarter earnings. That was in February. Uh, and then subsequently, the company's shares hit a 52-week low. I think that was last, well, pretty in the last couple of weeks at least. Now, Liam, um, wanting to get Mathan's opinion on the company. Mathan. Uh, look, James Hardy is probably one of the best building exposures, especially to the US building cycle, that you're going to find. Um, they do, I mean, they, they make profit when, um, when your building sector is in trouble. So, you know, most others make losses. James Hardy still makes a profit. So they're a really good operation, but you have to look at what's happening in the building cycle. Construction material costs are going through the roof. Uh, mortgage rates now have just gone straight up and it's now over 5%. Um, you're seeing uh, prices coming off. Um, you've seen the sales data, how sales data is starting to uh, top as well. So we're seeing a weaker cycle. Um, so in that context, the other problem you've got is you tend to look at what's happening in construction in the US through um, infrastructure side of things. And you're potentially going to be going into a midterm election where the Democrats look like they're gonna lose one, one, uh, one lane. So if they lose that, then it becomes really hard for them to pass too much. So infrastructure plans as usual in the US gets delayed again. So all of these things are relatively negative. James Hardy always trades at a high multiple. It got to pretty insane multiple and it's coming back. Look, I think it's a great business. I think you buy it when US housing looks absolutely messy, but look, US is doing well. There's a fair amount of handouts still flowing through. Housing is only starting to roll over. So I'm not rushing in to buy James Hardy, but this is one you keep on your shopping list. When everyone starts to say US recession, this is not one you wanna be in, but when the recession is played out and things are improving, that's the time to buy James Hardy. So now is not the time. All right, but you're already in there then, Mason. Um, what do you do? Because as you say, there are issues at play at the moment, particularly in the, in the housing and building industry more generally. Yeah, look, this is a cyclical stock. As mm. good as management is and as good as the model is, it's a cyclical stock and the cycle has turned. So this is not the time to be uh, looking at the, what's happened in the past and uh, holding on. This is the time to take your money if you made your profits, take your money and go somewhere else. Okay, so I'm, I'm taking that as a sell then, or at least um, we, you put a big no on it. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Howard, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much uh, agree with that. Uh, it, cyclical stocks, no matter what industry they're in, if they're really cyclical, and James Hardy most definitely is being tied to the building industry, largely in the US, you want to be buying them when everybody's complaining how terrible that industry is doing. You don't want to be buying them right at the end of where there's been a, we never know for sure it's the end, but what appears to be the end of a time when there was a boom in that industry. Now there's been a boom in the housing industry for a number of people, building and infrastructure and housing in the US because interest rates have been 
ridiculously low. That's changed. And interest rates are heading up quite rapidly now. That's not good for this industry. And you've only got to look at the earnings per share. I mean, they earned about $1.33 um, 10 years ago. That dropped as low as 24 cents a few years later when the uh, industry had a down cycle. It got up again now to uh, $1.35. It could easily get down way below that to half that or less. And um, that would make it extremely expensive where it is now. So when everybody's complaining housing is a disaster, that's the time to buy a good company in the housing industry, but not when everybody's been doing well out of it as they have been for a while now. So definite sell from us. If you owned it, uh, I don't think any Team Invest members own this. All right, that's pretty emphatic for James Hardy. Uh, okay, the next one we've got a little, a little bit different given what we've covered so far. It's <laughs> iCandy Interactive has signed an exclusive uh, partnership with Froyo Labs. Now, this is to develop and commercialise a series of Web3 Metaverse games titles, and it's also working in an NFT space. Now, Bridge, wanting to know from Team Invest, Howard, uh, to tell about iCandy Interactive stock, saying, I don't know why I'm holding it. I know the fundamentals <laughs> are good. I want a Team Invest member to talk me out of it. Are you going to do that? Yeah, well, um, you know, I mean, I certainly don't know terribly much about this gaming industry. It's not something that we ever discuss in Team Invest meetings. But if you look at the fundamentals of this company, it doesn't make profits. And um, companies that don't make profits in the long term can't reward shareholders well, because in the end, as a shareholder, you share in the profits made by the company. And people pay share prices higher when the company's profits get higher and higher. And eventually, when the profits don't come, um, if it's an unprofitable company, people head for the exits. So looking at this company with um, no profits so far, it sounds like a nice story, but stories don't make good investments uh, in the long term. Now, of course, a company has to have a story if it isn't making profits, because without a story, it wouldn't exist. So um, we always look at it in Team Invest and say, you know, if the company is so far still a story, um, let's rather wait until they've actually proved that they're a business for a number of years, and then we'll look at it. But um, I, I've never really looked at this company. Um, I don't know much about it, but looking at its fundamentals, um, I couldn't imagine any group of Team Invest members agreeing to even spend any time looking at it. All right, so does that answer the question from Bridgestone of, of why they're holding it? Yeah, what, get what do you do with it? it? Uh, uh, I think what it, what it should do is uh, get out of it and put mm. your money into a company that's making profits and where the expectation is strong that they will continue to increase those profits year after year because they've proven they've done that in the past. All right, there you go. There's your answer, Bridge. Uh, Nathan, what are your thoughts then? Of course, this is, I mean, um, that the future, isn't it? Uh, we're talking about Web3, for heaven's sake. Uh, it's got all the bingo words. Uh, yeah. you, you got to love it. Um, but look, uh, as, as much as I would love to say um, Howard's completely right, he probably is, but it's one where I think it's unique enough that you want to keep an eye on it. Um, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, the area, the zones that work in Asia, um, I remember pre-pandemic, um, I was there on holiday when, you know, it was easy to travel um, in Malaysia and you see the amount of people playing games. You know, nine o'clock in the morning, um, 
Internet cafes are filled with kids playing games, online games. So it's massive. This industry is huge. Uh, and this is not well understood in the in the Western world. It's massive in Asia. I mean, it's it's bigger than football. It's better than bigger than cricket. I know it's, it sounds like blasphemy to say that, but uh, you know, online gaming is huge. Uh, we are barely scratching the surface, so the industry is hard to get exposure to, um, and I think. This is why we are seeing a lot of these micro cap stocks trying to get into that area. Um, and if that, you know, it, it, again, I, I wouldn't say I know that this is going to do well or not. It's way too early to know. It's a 150 billion million market cap. It's a micro cap, trades uh, very less. So it's always going to be tough to get in and out. Um, and it's high risk. It's a growth stock, doesn't make a profit in a rising uh, interest rate environment, will be under pressure. So all the caveats there, it is still an interesting thematic. It's still a big sector and it's still very early in the story. So in that context, it's worthwhile. So it depends on what kind of investor you are. If you're a high risk investor, putting a little bit of money here, I don't think it's a bad thing. You've got to keep your eye on it. Uh, and if it starts to roll over, then you take your money and go somewhere else. But I think it's interesting enough and the blue sky is so big and it's so the understanding in Western markets is so low that I think it's worthwhile the risk, but again, it's high risk. All right. So in answer to Bridges' question, then I'm saying I'm thinking you're thinking, hold it, worthwhile. Yeah. Look, if if you're in it and you, it's a very small, you know, as a small portion of your portfolio, uh, with the big upside. Yeah, I think it's worthwhile. Uh, with a good stop loss, manage your risk, but it's not going to be one of your big holdings. That's for sure. Okay, all right. Hope that answers your question, Bridge. Uh, let's come back down to earth. And uh, Goodman Group is our next one. I only wanted to know about this. It is the integrated commercial industrial property company, portfolio of warehouses, logistics, and the like, office parks. I think it's, it's spending close to $13 billion of development work currently in progress, in fact. Nathan, um, you know, we've seen where a lot of this is going, particularly over the course of the pandemic, and that's still the case, certainly with industrial. How do you look at Goodman Group? Yeah, look, Goodman Group is a phenomenally well-managed business. It's hidden as a property trust player, but it's not. It is actually a listed private equity. They trade assets like anyone I know. They are amazing at what they do. They manage risk really well. Uh, unfortunately, everyone knows that too. So it's it trades at a massive multiple because it's good. And when markets get excited, it goes from massive multiple to insane multiple. And it did that at the end of last year and it's come back. Now, it's it pays, you know, for a property trust, well, I guess it's not really a property trust, but uh, for a property trust, it actually pays a, a very small yield. But look, it's a solid business. It trades in a sector industrial property i mean if you don't know industrial property is doing well uh well then you've got problems you shouldn't be in investing um and these guys trade it as well as anyone and they do it globally they move money around like it's you know playing chess and they execute really well so i got no problem um, but you're never going to get them cheap and they're never going to get you a lot because everyone knows about it and everyone will buy the crap out of it if it comes back too much so yeah if you're holding I think it's a hold. It's a it's a high quality hold, but uh, do I want to buy into it when you've got rising interest rates, multiples coming back with all the high growth stocks? 
it's tough. I think you probably will see some downside, but look, if you're a long-term investor and you've already got it, I think it looks it, it it'll probably come back, but it'll recover. So I'm happy with it. Howard. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, property trusts, and as Nathan says, this isn't really entirely a property trust. Um, don't normally pass our filters because their return on equity is too low. But Goodman Group's been passing our team invest filters with return on equity well in excess of 10% for the last four years. Its debt levels are low, again, unusually for a property trust, and its earnings per share growing far more rapidly than you'd expect from a property trust. Exceptionally well-run business. It really is. It is an extraordinarily well-run business. And if you want any exposure to property, and particularly industrial property, it's definitely the place to put your money. But, uh, you know, as has been said, uh, interest rates are rising. That's never a good time to be buying these sort of assets. However, being the best uh, at it, you would think that their competitors are going to get significantly more damaged by rising interest rates than they will be, which will probably create opportunities for them to pick up some other property um, that they'll develop over the longer term. So again, I, I think um, similarly to what Nathan says, if you're a very long-term holder, um, it's the kind of company, the moment its share price is showing a bit of weakness, that you can buy, forget about, and own for a very long time. But it's certainly not uh, it, all that cheap at the moment, but a lot cheaper than it was a few months ago. But in the next couple of proper, uh, interest rate rises, it could well get cheaper still. So I think a hold, or alternatively, if you can buy them on, on a couple of days when the market's down a few days in a row, long term, you'd probably be quite happy. Okay. All right. Well, that, uh, that's our first five. Let's summarise where we've been there in the first half of the show. And we began with the stock of the day, BHP. We know where commodities have gone recently, of course. And... Uh, well, Howard's saying essentially, well, they, they don't really look at resources um, simply because there's no control over the prices there. Uh, whereas Nathan's saying he actually got out of the stock earlier. Um, the optimism's priced, didn't he say he's uh, he slapped a hold on it, but certainly saying the best of the bunch in that sector at this point. Our first stock, as picked by you, was uh, Aussie Broadband. And um, in fact, Nathan's got a, a sell on it. Uh, Howard and avoid saying, look, it is very competitive industry, exceptionally well-run company, but uh, that share price has done very well. So maybe now is the time to get out premium. Uh, it's, um, Howard's saying, uh, return on equity there, too low. He's, uh, he's passing it, essentially. And Nathan, yeah, waiting to see, just as far as premium, perhaps an opportunity. Uh, if the share price comes off a little, he actually prefers Hub 24 at this point. And James Hardy, building products, uh, the building industry at a critical point at this moment, uh, just as far as perhaps where it's going, we know how many builders are in trouble. And that's obviously going to be passed on as far as the suppliers there are concerned. Um, so Nathan saying exposure to the US is obviously good. It makes a profit where others don't, uh, but he's got a, a sell on it. And uh, how pointing out, I mean, it is a cyclical stock. That's the problem at the moment. So also a sell on James Hardy. iCandy Interactive. Uh, Howard's saying, um, look, he never really looks at this space, doesn't have a profit. He's got a sell on it. Um, but Nathan's a little more interested. 
waiting to see how it develops, uh, given it's a massive industry in that Web3 and gaming space. And finally, their Goodman Group, uh, both saying it is an exceptionally well-run company. Uh, Nathan's saying uh, very high quality hold and uh, Howard similarly a hold on that. All right, that's our first five. Let's catch up with where we're tracking with our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee here at Ausbiz. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live. You to watch on ausbiz.com. So let's check it, see how it's performing. JB Hi-Fi, ProMedicus, Linus, Instatech Pivot. They were added to the fund this month, joining the original stocks and 20% currently being held in cash. So at the moment, it's up 1.6% on a cumulative return basis since its obsession at the beginning of March. And uh, you can keep in sending your requests and keep the call switched on, of course, to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Okay, let's preview the second half of the show. We will be looking at Computer Share, Premier Investments, Janice Henderson, Corporate Travel, and Integral Diagnostics. Well, let's get into the first there of that lot. Computer Share, it is the Planned Services, Investor Services, Communication Services. Um, Howard, this one's for you because Warren wants to know from you uh, is there merit in waiting for compression of PE ratios following the anticipated interest rate hike? Or do you believe that the Australian market has already priced in that hike as has happened in the US with the first interest rate hike with a re-rating of stocks unlikely? What are your thoughts there, Howard? Yeah, I think um, it's always an interesting point about what a market's price in. Now, according to Bernard Malkiel and the efficient market hypothesis, which remember, he didn't call an efficient market fact. He said an efficient market hypothesis. And he said that if markets are efficient, then the following would apply. But it's since been remembered as markets are efficient. So markets are obviously not efficient because some investors do significantly better than others. Um, so I, I don't know there's much merit in trying to figure out if markets price things in or not. But if we look at computer share, they're an interesting case regarding interest rate rises. Because while interest rate rises are almost certain to compress PE ratios uh, all over the market, computer share also benefits from interest rate rises because it's often holding on to bits of money for short periods of time um, that belong to other people in the longer term. So when interest rates are higher, computer share tends to make more money on the funds that it's currently holding before passing on. So that's a positive for, for computer share, which it isn't for many other companies. But yes, P ratios in general are likely to come down and computer shares had a huge run up, uh, as we can see there over the last couple of years, as it's moved into other ancillary fields from where it is now. So if I look at it at the moment, I mean, uh, it's on, uh, 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 sorry, uh, earnings per share is hardly growing. Uh, growing a little bit, but not much, about 2.1% per year, which doesn't justify that enormous share price increase. Debt's 
a little higher than our filters would like. Um, return on equity is quite decent. Uh, the PE ratio, uh, it's about 13%, the return on equity, which is above the 10. PE is 32, which is a little on the high side for a company that's uh, got slow earnings growth. So uh, certainly it wouldn't raise enthusiasm among team invest members, but it won't be as badly hurt um, by interest rate rises because in a small way it will benefit from some of that interest rate rise. So what do you do with it? Um, I suppose if you own it, you could probably hold it. I don't own it. I don't think team invest members own it because uh, it doesn't pass our debt filters. So uh, I wouldn't buy it. But if okay. you're currently having it, uh, probably hold it. All right. Because it'll be better than some others when interest rates rise. Nathan, yeah, particularly when we take a look at interest rates, how do you look at a company like ComputerShare? Yeah, it's, it's, it's become one of the default uh, plays for rising interest rate. Um, it, it's interesting that so many people have jumped into it, that it's actually pricing in the upside from the interest rate hikes already. <laughs> so the risk is that we don't get the interest rate hikes and this thing comes back hard. Um, I think you've held it, you've done really well. Um, I would say it's not the greatest um, growth story out there. Well, actually, it has not much growth at all. It's a boring, defensive player. They take money from you and they make money off holding it on fixed income. Um, so when yield is high, they do well. Sure, um, that plays out. We've gone with the same thematic. We thought this would play out. Uh, we've talked about inflation for a while now and yields going up. Um, so we played it through Challenger, which had a pretty good update today. We played it through QBE, uh, through the insurance sector. And um, again, all of those stocks have done really well. Uh, and I think they'll continue to do well. Um, I think you've got to remember, when you invest, there is always risk. You do not get return without taking risk. And so when people say, I don't want to lose money, uh, but I want return, well, that just doesn't work. So you are taking risk to get return. So when you get returns and you don't know why you're getting the returns, then you do not understand the risk that you are taking. And in computer share, people have got returns. They don't know why <laughs> in most cases. So I, I suggest when you get into these kind of situations, it's the reverse of nibble. This is when you go to uh, you know, feed the ducks. When people are paying too much, you just got to take profits gradually. You don't know where the top is. You take money out bit by bit because there are other opportunities. Computer share at the moment is, you know, it doesn't have much growth. It's pricing in the macro upside, but it's not pricing in the fact that if something goes wrong and it's a crowded trade. So when markets have a pullback, everyone will sell and even the, the market darlings get hit and computer share is one of those at the moment. For the multiple it's trading, it's trading like pretty much like a CSL multiple, but it, it doesn't have the, the pipeline of growth potential that CSL has. So in that context, just put that in perspective. I think you're getting, you've done well, uh, don't get carried away, manage your risk, take profit gradually. You're trimming. All right. Yep. That's computer share. Okay, uh, Premier Investments. Brendan wanting to know about this one. It is the retail conglomerate, uh, the key player there being Solomon Lou, of course, uh, back in January reported a modest increase in global sales, uh, driven by its online business. In fact, uh, up around 27%. Uh, that helped offset the loss of, get this, 42,000 plus trading days, obviously, during the pandemic. Um, yeah, Nathan, Obviously, you know where uh, online sales have gone. So the question is, what next for the company? 
Yeah, um, and you know, JobKeeper kind of helps, um, and having um, stock sitting there uh, because of they were smart enough to move it, thinking that Brexit problems will hit them, and then you get pandemic supply side shock, and they've actually benefited out of that. So there's a lot of things that they've done have actually worked out really well for them. Um, and you got to remember, you know, we're talking about a couple of years where every government did substantial amount of handouts that everyone's carrying massive debt. Um, you're not going to get the handout consumer-driven uh, boost to retailers that you've had in the last couple of years. So most retailers, the multiples will look okay, but it's a counterintuitive. You don't buy retailers when their multiple looks cheap because that means everyone is pricing in the cyclical high growth stocks. Um, you buy retailers when multiples look shocking, massive, because that means they've been beaten up and their earnings expectations are very low. And so you, you are now buying Premier. It's one of the top retail players, but you're buying it at comparing it to a cycle that is, you know, was on steroids. So I don't think you're going to get that again. Uh, look, if you've held it, you've done well, um, I think they'll continue to do okay, so you, you'll do okay. But fresh money, retail sector is going to be really tough, and I think it's going to get even tougher in discretionary retail. Premier, as good as it is, potentially has a high multiple, will probably struggle. So at this point in the cycle, as with all cyclicals, uh, when people are talking about stagflation slash recession worries, uh, retailers and especially high multiple retailers are not the place to be. All right. So am I taking that as a whole or in fact a sell? Yeah, I think if you're a lot, if you held it for a while, then you're happy to hold the cycle. There'll mm. be a bit more downside risk, but you'll be happy. Uh, but if you're a new investor, yeah, not getting it. Okay, avoiding it. Okay, Howard. Yeah, um, on a reasonably high PE, when you take into account that the earnings have been that high, but what they've done particularly well, other than all the help they got from COVID and government handouts, is long before COVID already, they made very sure that they weren't on long leases. In fact, um, they managed to get away with many of their stores being in holdover, which means they weren't really committed to a lease at all. Now, with online sales growing rapidly, that means they can react by closing stores without having... Uh, lease payments to make for another couple of years or five years or whatever that many competitors can't. So they're considerably more flexible than uh, other retailers. So the likelihood is they will continue to be one of the best run retailers, but the share price isn't cheap. Um, when you consider that, uh, you know, it's based off pandemic earnings, which probably won't be repeated, especially with interest rates rising, and it's on a P of 16, um, there have been times in the last couple of years where you could buy it on a PE of less than 10. And going back through its history, uh, this is not a particularly low PE. And what's worse, it's based on a particularly high cyclical earnings. So I think it's a great business, but um, if a share price came, came down to sort of less than $20, it may be an exciting buy, but not where it is at the moment. Okay. All right, so, but you would hold it still at those levels then? Well, uh, I, I, I haven't ever owned it, but... Uh, well, if no, you if, own, if you're, if you're uh, already in there as an investor. Yeah, if you're already in there and you're yeah. prepared to be a very long-term holder and you're not terribly worried about the cyclicality that's coming up, possibly you'd hold it, but I think there yep. are better places you could put your money at this kind of PE. Fair enough. Okay, 
Next one we're looking at is Janice Henderson. Uh, Nancy wanting to know about it. it is the Global Asset Management Group. Uh, in fact, it's got to change at the top. Uh, Dick Will having just finished as chief executive, the incoming CEO starting, I think, in uh, the end of June or thereabouts. Uh, so that's always something to be wary of as far as an investor is concerned. Howard, what are your thoughts? Yeah, changing of CEO is always a bit of a concern, that's for sure. Uh, in the end, people run businesses. Um, because of the area that it's in, uh, obviously it's dependent on the way markets move because when funds under management grow, and there are two reasons that funds under management grow, either because the markets in general go up or because they get a flow of funds coming in, then fund managers do really well because they earn money as a percentage of their funds under management and they also earn performance fees. However, with interest rates rising, the likelihood of most fund managers earning much in the way of performance fees in the next few years is very low and funds under management is likely to shrink as quantitative tightening uh, replaces the quantitative easing in countries like the US uh, and uh, some of the others. We haven't yet started down that path, but my guess is we will as well. So um, it's on a very cheap PE at the moment. But the trouble with funds management is usually when they're on cheap PEs, it means because everybody knows that the next period's not going to be that great. Uh, I think the PE at the moment's on about eight, um, which looks great. But in actual fact, I think all fund managers are going to struggle to do well uh, for their shareholders over the next several years. So uh, uh, it, it, it's one that on the surface looks good, but uh, when you look at it in a bit more detail, probably a no. Okay. All right, Nathan. Well, it's an interesting one. They do a fair amount of M&A um, and they do global M&A and they do cross asset allocation M&A. So they became a much bigger player in the fixed income market. All of that works out when the cycle is with you. Um, it's the beauty of cycles. When it goes against you, you get absolutely belted. Uh, and how it's right, most asset managers are, you know, feeling the pain of what's happening in the markets. Um, and, you know, you don't have to look much further than look at what's happening in Magellan and Platinum. I mean, you've got two great guys running two great businesses, not doing too well. Um, and it's it's a tough market. Um, and Janice is going through a leadership change. Uh, and the usual thing is there's a shuffling of the deck is going to happen because they have to rebuild for a new growth. Uh, obviously, the new guy coming in is going to have uh, a lot of options priced at the current price, and it's all about delivering growth. So generally what happens when you get management change at the top, the first six months, you're probably going to see more downgrades before they clean the deck, and then you get the run up with the new business model. Mm. So I'm not jumping in now. It's in a downgrade cycle, um, and you'll, you just stay away from downgrade cycles and wait for a few more downgrades to go through and then you'll get your first upgrade. That's the time to jump into Janus. And uh, I think there'll be a big cycle coming up for them. Uh, I love asset managers on the way down because people don't want to sell, hold, 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 and then sell at the bottom. Okay. Uh, the thing about these cycles is when you buy it at the bottom and when they turn on the first upgrade, you have a huge run up. So be patient, you'll get your opportunity. Fair enough, patience is a virtue. Let's move on to corporate travel. Now, of course, all about the reopening at this point, Borders essentially all down now. We're flying apparently. Haven't booked mine yet, but well, interstate, but not overseas. Uh, but as far as corporate is concerned, that's where we're focused on at the moment. Uh, Nathan, what do you make of corporate travel? 
Oh, look, it's had its uh, naysayers, it's had its accounting problems, it's had its short stories, but um, it's a good business model. They concentrate in one part of the uh, area where they do really well in corporate travel, and you know the margins are big, they, and they execute. Um, but, geez, it's, it's hard to get excited at these multiples. Um, and the other thing to remember is, you know, you look at the whole sector, you've got, you know, Webjet, then you've got uh, Flight Center, they made some acquisitions. Now, if you look at someone like Flight Center, for example, it gives you, if you look at the chart, it actually gives you a completely wrong impression because from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic, they've actually doubled the amount of shares. So the share price uh, at half the share price is the same as what it was in pre-pandemic on a market cap basis. So some of these stocks have had massive dilution. Corporate travel has avoided a lot of that. Uh, but look, you're back at the peaks uh, in 2018. You're only you know, a few dollars off that. So in reality, you're picking in a fair bit. I think the real risk for corporate travel is everyone is assuming all the corporate travel returns back to what it was. I'm not so sure. I think, you know, as I'm doing Skype and uh, people are doing Zooms and every type of other platform technology meetings, uh, people are used to that. It's a lot easier and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to put on pants. You can put on shorts and a shirt and you can be on, you know, on an online um, conference very easily. So in theory, I think there is going to be a reduction in corporate travel over the next, you know, three to four years uh, to a new equilibrium. And I think corporate travel will see that. We, we are guessing that everything will go back to normal and the market is pricing that. I think the risk is it doesn't. So yeah. corporate travel, you need a bit of a discount. I don't think you're getting the discount. I think the, the whole travel sector is overvalued because people are pricing in what potentially will be in three, four years already. And market thinks they're patient. And we know investors are not that patient. So in reality, at some point, this is going to come back. So mm. for me, the travel sector, everyone knows it's the reopening cycle and it's overvalued. Overvalued, okay, that would be a no then, Howard. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, I think anybody giving it a lot of thought will realize that, as Matthew pointed out, the travel sector is going to be smaller post-pandemic than it would have been had there not been the pandemic, simply because we, we've learned that instead of flying 21 hours or something to get to a meeting in Europe, um, we can in fact do it by Zoom almost as well. So the likelihood is the amount of travel will be lower. However, the question is by what percentage? Because if the percentage of companies that have disappeared from the industry, uh, the capacity has shrunk by more than the amount that the uh, industry sh shrinks by, then the survivors do exceptionally well. So keeping the example simple, let's say there's 20%, I have no idea whether it'll be 20%, but let's say there's 20% less corporate travel after the pandemic than there was before. But let's say 30 or 40% of the players have ceased to exist. And corporate travel, in fact, has bought a couple of competitors. That would mean that corporate travel would land up doing exceptionally well compared to how it was doing before the pandemic. So when you get an industry shrinking, all the weakest players die. And if the percentage of weakest players or the capacity they provided exceeds the amount by which the industry shrinks, then the survivors land up being wealth winners. They do extremely well. Now, is corporate travel a wealth winner at the current share prices? Well, that's a different story entirely. 
Um, I think this company is going to do exceptionally well and its earnings are going to be significantly higher than they were pre-pandemic because of the acquisitions they've made and the shrinkage in the industry. But the share price is pretty high at the moment mm. on a larger number of shares. So I currently hold corporate travel. I'm very happy holding it. I bought quite a few extra when they were under $10. Um, so I've expanded my holdings of corporate travel, but I wouldn't be buying any at the current share price at nearly $26. So a hold, but I think it's a great business that will benefit in the long term. Okay, that is a hold then for corporate travel. Let's uh, round it out with Integral Diagnostics. Uh, Jen wanting to know about this. It is the medical imaging service provider. Recently raised around $47 million uh, to fund its acquisition of Peloton Radiology. Howard. Yes, I think I should say at first that I do own shares in the company, same mm -hmm. as I do in corporate travel. And uh, I also know the chief executive uh, very well. He and I both serve on the board of Tip Group together. So I know Ian Kadish well. Um, Well-run company, um, outstanding management, very committed to doing the best for shareholders. Debt's a little bit high. Uh, return on equity is good. Um, Earnings per share growing quite nicely, although they were hurt a bit during the pandemic, obviously, but that will now reopen. And uh, a company that I think, uh, you know, if you're looking at a company that's going to grow its earnings over the next five years, in all probability, this company should be able to grow its earnings quite nicely uh, over the next five years. The only slight fly in the ointment is debt to equity a little higher than we'd like to see. Um, but it's not that high as, uh, for the kind of business that it is that it's really worrying. Um, it, share price got down to about $3.40, I think it was. Uh, I think it was low as $3.41 a little while ago. And uh, uh, I and I know a few other uh, people were uh, buying some extra in that sort of three fifty dollars uh, range. I don't think I got any right at the bottom of three forty one, dollars but I sort of bought it around three fifty. dollars It's back up to about four twenty four, dollars which is probably a, a, a bit fairer. Um, than where it was. So over the, the years, I expect to see that gradually growing and doing well because earnings have been growing at about uh, uh, some, some in double digits, more than 10% a year. Um, if they carry on at that rate, it should prove a wealth winner over the next several years. All right. Do you buy it still at this level? Um, it's quite volatile at share price. So I would mm. say at 424, the answer is no, not today, because you're bound to get a day where it'll be significantly lower. It does bounce okay. around in a range of uh, a good 30, 40 cents. Right. So if you're just a little bit patient, you can probably pick some up at not much over $4. All right. I'm just trying to get a buy out of you, but that's fair enough. I, <laughs> you, you recently bought it, so uh, kudos to you. Nathan? Uh, look, it's a, it's a great business, as Howard said. Uh, I remember back in the day, Capital Health uh, tried to buy it, I think, uh, mid-twos, I think, from memory. Um, and now IDX could turn around and buy Capital Health. Uh, so it shows you how things have turned around. Um, in, you know, we're looking at uh, imaging diagnostics, everything in that sector has done well. Um, and, you know, in that context, I think we are in that consolidation phase. They're doing more acquisitions. Management is really good. Uh, but, you know, we may have seen the peak in the sector. We've... People are paying too much for it. The thing about what people get wrong is if you started, I mean, it's a growth stock, it's a healthcare stock. When you're paying high multiples, you have to remember the last couple of years, uh, you know, you've got interest rates globally at nothing. 
So multiples went insane. So you, you're not going to get that without a recession. So in that context, uh, looking at the last couple of years numbers will give you a, a false uh, optimism. So you've got to be careful. IDX is a good business. I think it's expensive. Um, it is coming off and I think most brokers are starting to downgrade gradually. Uh, the recent bounce was after the Ramsey bid because some of the uh, fundies started to pump the stock by saying this is potentially one of the takeover targets. You know, this is classic reverse broking. When you get fundies uh, telling every stock they own is a potential takeover target. Um, mm. And capital's had a bounce. So I think it'll unwind. Ramsey is a unique stock. Why it went for PE was logical. It, you know, it's a global um, cash flow model. That is not the case with things like capital. It's, well, one country. So in that context, I don't think that'll be there. So it'll come off. You'll get it cheaper. Uh, but as Howard said, it's a good business. So it's one to keep on your shopping list. When this thing comes below three bucks, you start chipping at it. That's when you nibble. I think you've got time. Okay, fair enough. Once again, be patient. All right, let's uh, round it out where we've been. Second half of the show, uh, computer share there. Uh, Howard say has had a huge run up in the share price, got a hold on it. Nathan is in fact trimming at these levels. Premier Investments, top retail. Um, the best though has passed, says Nathan. He's got a hold, as does uh, Howard. Janice Henderson, a very cheap PE, says Howard, but it is a no, also a no. Nathan wants to wait, see where the share price goes there. And um, corporate travel, you know, both like in the business there, well run, um, but a no from Nathan, a hold from Howard. And finally, their integral diagnostics, Howard owns it, bought it just recently, in fact, but you probably want to wait until if it comes back again. That's also the advice from Nathan. And uh, well, that's uh, the show for today. Thanks to both our experts. Howard, thanks for joining us and Team Invest. Pleasure, as always. And uh, Nathan also, obviously, from Deep Data Analytics. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. All right. That's a reminder where we to find our stocks we have in the calls portfolio. You can head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio.